everybody. Welcome back to Sacred City Vision Drip. Pastor Sam here with you today. And uh, I just want to start out by saying how grateful I am uh, for you taking the time to sit and listen. Maybe you're listening on the go, driving kids back and forth to school or whatever it might be, running errands, doing house projects, whatever it is. Uh, I'm grateful for that uh, because I see this podcast as uh, another vehicle in which biblical and pastoral counsel can be conveyed under the church body. Our, our, my, my hope is um, that you find this content uh, refining. It's it's encouraging. It's helpful. It's practical. Um, working things out into some more specific applica- applications into church life together. And, and I believe that the church and our church life and ministry together is something that ought to be cherished. It ought to be protected because uh, the church is the blood-bought people of God that are, are called to to take part in the work that God is doing um, in restoring all things back to himself. And so it's something that we as members of the church ought to cherish, ought to protect, and ought to strive for unity with one another. And what I realize is, and, and this is no um, shocking revelation, but oftentimes our sin can interfere with the cherishing, protecting, and striving for unity. And, and sometimes it's it's not necessarily sin or, or a high-handed sin as much as it can be a lack of Christian maturity that can interfere with, with the brotherhood of of the church. And what we're talking about today as we carry on the series, How to Destroy Your Church, uh, probably would fall under uh, the category of a lack of maturity. It's something that I think in order to get out away from this requires some kind of uh, growth in Christian maturity and understanding how how God uses uh, other Christians to minister to us and to one another. And uh, and as I'm setting out here to kind of define what this thing is, um, I'm it, it's hard to really nail it down with a biblical label. Um, I, I can point to, in fact, I will point to a couple places where this happens in Scripture, um, or or at least has the potential to happen in Scripture. Um, but but I guess if I were to use my own language to, to define what happens and what can undermine uh, the cherishing, protecting, and striving for unity, I, I would say, I would call it this. It is the, the danger of having thin skin. Um, and what I would more accurately, biblical language speaking here, uh, labeled it as, as taking offense where no offense is given. We all know that, um, you know, when something offensive is said, when something that is untrue or meant to hurt is said, it's, it's, it's probably um, a right interpretation of those situations to be offended by that. You think, okay, well, uh, those were words that were maybe issued from a malicious heart um, and maybe even go back to some of the gossip and slander stuff that we talked in the last, last episode, um, right to be offended. That there has been some kind of injustice that has been occurred, um, or, or some kind of hard speech um, that is not necessarily issued in love. Now, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about because um, I do know that there's the capacity in the church for for sinful speech to be uh, to be uttered and have negative effect, negative consequences in the life of the church. But there's also the potential for um, non 
uh, sinful words or non-malicious words to be said um, that are not necessarily intended to to have to bring in offense, um, but are interpreted as as offensive. I think one of the examples of this would be uh, with with the Apostle Paul as he confronts Peter um, in the Book of Galatians. He talks about how how Peter's hanging out with the Judaizers and sort of pretending trying to fit in with them. Um, and, and before everyone, the Apostle Paul calls him out. And, and I think that if, if Peter was less mature, uh, he would interpret that as, as an act of, of ill intent, something that Paul says or did um, to hurt him, to damage his reputation. Um, but, but I think because Peter is a mature Christian, as, as the Scripture presents him to be, at least in this stage of his life, uh, he can actually take these hard words, not necessarily be offended by them, but take them uh, in a corrective and loving manner and allow them to um, actually have their effect, which God intended them to have, calling him to to repentance, um, you know, well, convicting him, calling him his sin out, convicting him, calling him to repentance, and then ultimately to to restoration uh, and, and to, again, strive uh, towards unity in the body, and specifically in this case between the Gentiles and the Judaites. So there, there's an opportunity there where um, offense could have been taken where uh, none was given, uh, yet the maturity of, of Peter keeps him from doing that, as, at least as far as I know. Um, and we, we don't have any anything in Scripture that would tell us any different. Um, and so in that situation, you see the thick skin of Peter, able to take in hard words, process them, um, ask, Lord, what, what, do you, what are you trying to teach me in this? And then actually it having the effect. Now, there could it could have gone sideways. It could have been where maybe in Peter's immaturity, and and maybe he did wrestle with this for a bit. I don't. We don't know again. Um, but he could have been offended by what Paul said, the way that he said it, and totally dismissed um, the the truth of. Paul's claims and totally missed out on God's uh, corrective and redemptive um, intent in having uh, a Christian brother speak to him in that manner. Now, I I see in Scripture an, another place where we see this actually not going well, um, where there are words spoken that are hard words, um, but not necessarily meant to give an offense that ultimately people take offense to, and, and it causes them to push away. And the example of this is seen in, in John chapter 6, where Jesus um, had previously multiplied the fish and the loaves. Um, he gives the first I am statement of John's gospel. He says, I am the bread of life. And then the discourse continues. And in his discourse, Jesus makes a lot of really tough truth claims um, about himself specifically, and, and, and probably they come to a climax at John chapter 6, verse 53 and 54, where he says this, "...unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day." Now, you can hear like that why that might be a hard saying for people to, to reckon with. Uh, and, and maybe on the first layer of a hard saying would be just the general understanding. It's hard to understand, at least for the first century audience, what Jesus is saying. So that there's a layer of understanding, but I think it also goes past that. And in, in they're kind of, maybe not in the full sense where we can understand the parallels between that saying and th- something like the Lord's Supper, um, that, that we on this side of the cross can see those connections, those parallels there. Um, but, but they see that Jesus is making a, a 
a unique and uh, really poignant truth claim about himself. And, and it's not just a lack of understanding. It's a lack of receptivity to what he says. And Jesus can sense this in verse 60 as he goes on. Um, they, the disciples, and this is a general application of disciples, not necessarily just the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, but all the people who have been listening to Jesus and watching his ministry take place. They say to themselves, this is a hard saying, or, or, um, some translations say this is a hard word. And so you see the, the initial layer, it's hard to understand, but there's also like, Hey, whatever we understand of this, we, we don't want to, uh, embrace what it is you are saying. We can't swallow this pill. And and Jesus asked them, um, do you take offense at this? He asked them point blank. He can tell. I mean, he, Jesus, we've, we've seen earlier in, in John's gospel, he can discern the heart of man. And he asked them a very specific question. Do you take offense at this? Are you offended by what I have said, specifically the truth of what I have said? Um, and the answer to this is, well, yes, they, they, at least some of them, they are offended. And we see um, they'll, they'll move on from Jesus. That this, for some of them, becomes a breaking point where they, they no longer are interested in following Jesus because his words are too hard. Uh, and so they, they leave Jesus behind. Now, one of the things that we should ask ourselves as the readers here is, is it right for them to be offended? Is, is, did Jesus give offense so that it's right for them to take offense? Or is what Jesus is saying true and they're having a hard time either understanding or embracing the truth of Jesus's claim. Now, I think both can probably be the case in this situation, um, but certainly it is the latter. That some actually stop following Jesus because of this. Now, what we know, um, Jesus tells us that that His words are spirit and life, um, and so if we are to hold fast to them, if we were to take them seriously, they they have a a powerful effect. And um, there's a saying. That, that oftentimes it's the hard word that creates soft hearts and soft words that creates hard hearts. And and those people who stick around with Jesus, even maybe they're having a hard time wrestling with and understanding what he's saying, ultimately in his disciples, we see um, a softness of their hearts produced as they interact with, with Jesus's hard words. Yet sometimes, in, in this case, as people depart, these hard words are, are like a repellent um, and, and they don't want to... Um, continue on interacting with Jesus' words. The disciples, however, are different. Peter says, um, Jesus asked him, hey, are you guys going to turn away too? And Peter says, um, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Um, and and so we, we see this marker of a true disciple and, and being somebody who, though it might be hard to understand, though though it might be hard to get your mind around, um, still there's a commitment to, to the words of Jesus. There's a desire to understand and seek understanding in things where we lack understanding that causes them to continue on with Jesus and seek those, those things. Now, I see parallels between conversations like this with Jesus and these disciples and conversations that take place within church life as we seek to um, disciple one another, con- confront one another in, in our sins, um, that we may call each other to, to repentance and to greater reconciliation, um, where there are times in church life where, where somebody might say a true word that is hard. Um, and, and, and oftentimes, in, in the best case scenario, they're quoting scripture, they're quoting a hard word and, and applying that hard word um, to somebody's personal 
personal circumstances. And, and there are times where those hard words can cause an offense. Though they're true words, they're words not necessarily meant to give an offense, that offense can be taken. Now, we need to make an important distinction here because unlike Jesus, we, we have the capacity to sin. We have the, the capacity to say things wrong, to say untrue things. We have the capacity to say things uh, in an unloving way. We have the capacity to say thing, things wrongly. That, that Those are all sort of uh, part of the terrain of, of being imperfect people trying to minister to other imperfect people. Um, and so there, there is... Uh, there is not a one-for-one one parallel here between Jesus and his words and the words of, of those uh, Christians, brothers, and sisters who are trying to be faithful and lovingly apply um, the truth of God's word to real life. Um, and so we know that there, there can be times where, where people um, actually do give offense um, in what they're trying to say. Now, in a situation like that, there, the Bible actually is very helpful um, where somebody sins against a brother or sister in their speech. Um, in one, it tells us how we are to deal with things, uh, with our, our uh, other brothers and sisters when we've been sinned against. Matthew 18 gives us uh, guidelines. Um, we're told in Matthew's gospel even that um, that before we go to the altar, that, that we are to reconcile with our brother and sister if we're in sin or, or if we've been sinned against. Um, we are supposed to take that seriously and pursue reconciliation. That's part of striving for unity. Um, and so the scriptures give us a clear path for Forward, if if a situation like this happens where where we've been sinned against uh, in speech, um, even if it is um, even if it is something that is uh, a situation where somebody their intentions are not to hurt or to sin against a brother or sister, we also uh, this, this is where things get a little complicated because you got to get into the intentions of what the person said, the truth of what they're or the substance of what they're trying to say, the manner in which they said it, and so there's a lot to really uh, dissect. And if if you get if you get real meticulous about, you know, settling scores, it can be kind of an exhaustive thing. And I think this is one of the reasons why scripture tells us that we let love, uh, we are to let love cover a multitude of sin. Because if we, if we're constantly trying to keep uh, tabs and, and settle the score and make sure that our ledgers are perfectly squared up, uh, it can be this vicious uh tit for tat sort of uh, dynamic that will, you know, just, it, it's, it's pretty unproductive. So I guess trying to get this, this train back on the tracks, um, saying that it is possible for somebody to speak to a brother or sister and to do so in a way that, that is sinful, um, that, that is not done out of love um, and, and may have malicious intent. And in those situations, we need to deal with those, as the Bible says. Now, there's also, and, and this is what I'm trying to get at here with this, this specific uh, way that, that we can destroy a church, is when, that there, when there is no malicious intent, when, when love uh, motivates our words and the words are hard, much like the words that Jesus has. And people, instead of taking them in and wrestling with them and seeking understanding and um, going to the Lord and asking for clarity, um, there's this initial reaction that takes place, one of, of defensiveness, one of, of taking offense when no offense is given, that causes people to um, to push away, um, to, to question the motives of your brothers and sisters. And, and I think that if, if um, if this carries on, one of the things that will, will happen is that people will slowly and gradually stop speaking the truth to one another in love because out of fear of, of hurting people's feelings or saying something that's going to be um, misinterpreted or, or um, 
while no offense is intended to be given, um, ten, uh, offense will be taken. Um, and I think a lot of times that this is what's going on, where um, truthful, loving things are said, and then offense is is taken. And, and in those situations, as from the, the side of the person um, who's hearing these words, um, you put distance, you, you start to, to question the motives. Does this person, do they really want, uh, are they really for me? Do they really want my good? Are they really um, speaking the truth in love? And so there's there's a bit of skepticism um, that goes on, and also just the the general withdrawal that tends to happen, um, rather than uh, going to the Lord and asking, "Hey, can you give me some understanding?" And we realize that sometimes it takes time to process things. Like not everything that gets said in one night of missional community will get, get sort of put wrapped up in a nice bow by the end of the night. There, there's going to be times where where we have to to wrestle with the truth. Um, but one of the ways that gets short-circuited is by instantly, this sort of thin-skinned um, nature that we might have is instantly taking offense at things where no offense was meant to be given. Um, now, I-, I see this not only taking uh, happening in, in places where, you know, like party A says some, a hard word and, and we'll give them the benefit of the doubt where it's spoken, it's truth that's spoken in love. Party B, um, who, who is, uh, re- the one receiving these words, um, takes offense at that. So that's situation A, but I, I've also seen it happen where party A speaking truth in love says something to party B and then party C gets offended uh, on behalf of party B, even though at times they, they may not necessarily be offended. And, and I see this as uh, a particularly challenging thing within the church. Um, and, and I think I'll give this party C the benefit of the doubt. If, if you're tracking here with, I need to like draw a diagram of this. Um, but, but if you're tracking with me here, party C has this over um, empathetic aspect where, where party B may not necessarily like, Maybe the Spirit's doing a work in that person, and, and it just takes a little bit of time to wrestle through what's been said, um, to, to take it to the Lord and ask for clarity and understanding. Um, but the party C here jumps the gun, um, sort of pushes back and, and tells party A it's not their place. They're acting sort of, um, they're acting in a an empathetic way, and I would say an un- unhealthily empathetic way, um, to sort of protect party B, uh, and, and this short circuits some of the work that God does through his spirit, through the church. And this can be a a problem where you have people who are always taking offense at things, or you could, I would even say maybe maybe they're giving a hundred dollar reaction to a $10 problem. Um, and, and in that they're, they're taking offense where no offense was intended to be given. And, and I think that in a situation like that, it just shuts down this, uh, this sort of loving truth speaking nature of the church where, where it communicates, Hey, that won't be tolerated. We, we won't, we don't have a toler. We, we're here to make people feel good and we don't want to, um, upset things or say hard words. And it creates a culture within a missional community specifically, um, where eventually, um, there is no truth that is being spoken. It's sort of bowing to people's feelings. And if not party B, who's the one who's actually intended to receive the words, party C's feeling of feeling uncomfortable. 
And, and what we have to realize is, is the truth, um, is more important than our feelings. And I'm not saying this to say we can go walk around and just say hard things with no regard. I I think one of the graces of God is, is that he, he knows our frame. He knows the way that we're wired. He, he knows, um, what, what we are most receptive to, um, and sometimes even when, or, or what in what context are we most receptive to things. And I think even not in the same way that God knows our frame, but our, our community, as we learn um, about one another, as we we grow in our understanding of one another, that we also become become aware of how people become most receptive uh, of of certain kind of of speech and certain certain talk that um, the Bible commands us uh, to take part in, and so. We want to go about it wisely. We we want to have discernment. We want to be, uh, we want to have gentle words. Um, but sometimes gentle words can also be sharp words. Um, and so understanding that that not all speech is going to be this real like um, vanilla type type stuff where there's never like a, a little bit of jagged edge to it. That, that I think truth always has some kind of a jagged edge. We we don't want to make ourselves. We don't want to get away. We're not like balloons, you know where. Um, if there, there's a pointy object or the pointy pointiness of the truth gets in, it's going to be destructive. Um, no, actually, it's it's like the truth is what actually heals us. It, it's um, Jesus says that that uh, that that my words are truth. The truth sets you free, and uh, and the truth of things is actually what's going to bring us healing. Now, I'm kind of. My, at this point, my thoughts feel a little disjointed here, and, and I'm trying to to identify some things that can go on. But I, if, if I would maybe backtrack just a little bit, I, th- I think one of the responsibilities that we have that whenever we're interacting with maybe a hard word um, that that a brother and sister is being issued, one w- a few things that we need to do. If we're on the receiving end of a hard word, one we need to give our brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt. Um, we we need to trust that God is using this person as a vessel to communicate truth to us in a very pointed way. Um, I, I think a lot of times we can read our Bibles, and um, I, I know the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It can get, it can do what the Lord wants it to do. So, um, but I think that like my kids at times who have selective hearing where they only want to hear things um, on their own terms, we, we can have selective hearing when it comes to, to God's word. Like we, we may, um, without actually being pressed down into the truth of a passage, we might sort of cite, you know, fly over the words of scripture and the community is a way to kind of press us into that where the truth would form us into a greater capacity. I think this is one of the ways that God um, uh, uses Christian community has ordained it to to help us really get pressed into the Word of God. And so, um, one, I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm jumbled up here already with my list here. This is all coming off the top of my dome. One, we have to trust that the truth is for us. God God speaks so that we would be uh, healed and bound up and find life and liberty. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And that truth, that freedom is found in the truth of Jesus' Word. So the truth is for us, ultimately, even though at times it might bring pain. Two, um, going back to the Christian community, uh, God ordains his people to be uh, vehicles for bringing the truth to us. And so as as a hard word or ha- hard truth gets brought across our, our plate here, uh, we need to give our Christian brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt to trust that it comes from a loving pr- place. Um, I, 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 um, I don't think anybody... 
that is really intent, that loves the way that Jesus is loved, loves, um, that has a, a desire, a heart for the church. Um, I don't think anybody wants to bring unnecessarily hard words that will not produce fruit. Um, we, we want our, our words to be life-giving. And so when, when hard words are uttered, we, we ought to um, give the benefit of the doubt that, that they come from a loving place and not have this skepticism of, you know, they're, they're trying to trying to bash me or trying to trying to hurt me. No, rather we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to receive this, um, from, from, as it's from you, um, as a, 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 a gesture of your kindness and love toward me Two, Oh no, three. Oh my gosh. My list already is jumbled in my head. Uh, three, I would say we have to learn how to sift through the things that are saying, um, in a way that the truth remains and the unnecessary bits can can fade away. This is something that um, I, I've learned from Pastor Tim Keller. Um, I don't even remember when he said this or where, but it's stuck with me ever since I heard him say it. And I think maybe uh, back to the the meaning of marriage, his book on marriage, I think this may be some wisdom that he's he's given from there. But, but when a hard word, uh, maybe what's perceived as a critical word is said, um, there's a chance that there might be extra fluff on it that is not necessarily helpful. But one of our duties is to sift through what was said to find the truth, to find the thing that the Lord actually wants us to hear um, and not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think that's a mistake that that we hear, okay, well, this person said it in a way that I don't like it, so I'm just going to toss the whole thing out. Um, and I think that's a disservice to community. I think that's a disservice to our own heart. I think that that is a way of selective hearing. Again, we don't want to do that. So there there needs to be the ability to, to I guess this would be um, having discernment, having some thickness of skin, to be able to kind of brush up against what might not necessarily feel great initially and seek the Lord's clarity, seek, seek clarity on, um, what do you want me to hear Lord of this? What, what needs to stick? What's the stuff that needs to stick to the wall? Um, and what's the stuff that can fade away and be able to, again, let love cover multitude of sin, that if things were communicated in a way that maybe didn't resonate, um, not necessarily ejecting it all based on, on its presentation. And so I think that this is a big thing, um, because one of the things that we desire to do at Sacred City is to be people who speak the truth in love. We desire to have the scriptures inform every aspect of our life. And and what we need to realize is that God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. That means God will use imperfect vehicles to bring us to encounter the truth and the perfection of his word. And so in faithfulness to God and faithfulness to the word, we need to be able to wrestle with things. And if we're not doing that, if we have thin skin, we take offense easily, we, we have $100 reactions to $10 problems, um, then, then we're going to um, create a culture or at least um, have some contributions to an unhealthy culture where truth eventually gets put on the back burner and we're cared, we care more about how people feel. Now, God, you know, this gets us into some, it's hard. I say something like that and, um, there's, you know, I, I hear that, well, but what about this? You know, so there, there's a bunch of different ways that we can expand on this, that we can work through this. And, and honestly, if you have questions about this, 
I I think the best way to have ha, have this dialogue is in in uh, actual conversation rather than me just talking at you. So what I want to do is I want to invite your questions to me with this um, a, as we pursue um, the, the ability to have thick skin, to let some hard words roll off our backs and be able to hold on to the truth, to the substance of what's said so that we might grow up in truth, that the knowledge of Christ would increase in us and God would would use the church and imperfect people um, to, to accomplish his perfect work of our sanctification. And so this is one of the re- reasons why I say this is this could be a way to destroy your church, that if you're always taking offense, you're going to shut people down. If you're always there, you know, well, you know, I, I know they said this, but I don't think they said it the right way. That, that again, goes back to this sort of biting and devouring of it's just not good enough. And if you're expecting imperfect people to always say uh, truth perfectly, you're going to be disappointed. You know, there, you're going to listen to my preaching, and there's going to be times where I imperfectly say things that my my words are not. You know, as much as I want to stay true to the scriptures uh, and and veer away from heresy or uh, a misrepresentation of the truth, th- it's possible for me as a fallible man uh, to to misrepresent something. And the same is true within the context of community. It's possible for imperfect people, uh, with the intent of of lovingly bring the truth. Uh, to sort of have a misfire, and so we don't want to we don't want to um, shut down that that truth and love um, aspect of community. We don't, we don't want that to go away. Um, rather, we want to become better at that. And so this is why the uh, this is so important for us that that when um, conflict happens through situations like this, where where somebody is trying to speak the truth in love, and, and maybe there's a misfire, maybe maybe it's a lack of skill in the presentation of the truth. Rather than saying, "Hey, I didn't like that. Never do that again," uh, we learn from our mistakes so we can grow in this. This is how the church is refined. This is how we are sanctified, even in the way that we speak to one another. And so I want to throw that out to you you, um, and say, this could be something that undermines the health of the church. This could be, if if we have have zero tolerance um, for people's mistakes uh, in pursuit of what is is true and noble and good and profitable for the building up of of the church, if we say, hey, hard words um, can, can can go badly, and we never have that. That that will ultimately um, bring the church to its downfall. But because the church, um, the bedrock of the church, is the truth of Jesus' words, we cannot forsake the truth. We must build our lives on the Word of God and know that God. It's His grace to us that that at times the truth confronts us. I, I always say that that we don't read the Bible; we let the Bible read us. Um, and so the same thing kind of goes. The same idea that that we don't get to dictate how community happens. God is the one that is working and orchestrating that, and even. Through through the conflicts, even through the misfires, even through communication that is not necessarily issued um, in the most sincere love or in the most profitable way, we can still learn from it and we don't need to shy away from it. So again, you got questions? Let me know. Let me answer them. Uh, Happy to sit down, have coffee, or I can come back with a follow-up podcast if you have more questions about this. Uh, Again, the whole point of this series is to help our church be healthy, vital, and and loving and truth-saturated body where the, the gospel ministry can continue um, building up, producing a good fruit in us uh, that God may be glorified. So I, I hope you find this helpful. Again, shoot me questions if you got them. Uh, I can't wait to be with you guys on Sunday as we worship our Lord once again. We'll see you then.